For the last couple of weeks, we've been working our way through a series called Jacob's Wrestling, in which it's a, a look at the life of a patriarch of the nation of Israel, and his name's Jacob. While I was listening last week, a thought came to my mind. This covenant that we've mentioned a few times, have we really explained it? Do we know the significance behind this covenant and what it means to the nation of Israel and what it means to us? The promise that was given to Abraham was actually already read to us by Rick this morning, and it is in uh, Genesis 12, 1-8. This is the first occurrence of the covenant that shows up many times throughout our Bible. This covenant is so significant that I think it deserves a whole message all on its own. So what is this covenant? Who is the covenant being given to? And why is this thing so significant to us? Before we get too far into this, I need to give a little bit of recognition to a source that I used fairly heavily in this message. John Piper has a great series that he, he preached quite a, quite a number of years ago and where he covered all the different covenants that we see in the Bible. So you've got the, the covenant to Noah, the Davidic covenant, and this one that I, I was using a bit for today is called the Abrahamic covenant. So today you're going to use me, hear me use that word covenant quite a bit. A covenant really is a promise between two individuals. A promise between two individuals. And in our case, this promise is going to get bigger and bigger. So let's begin with who this covenant was given to. God gave this covenant to a man named Abram, who was the son of a man named Terah, who was the son of a man named Shem, and Shem was the son of Noah. Both these men were faithful to God while all others had fallen away from God and gone their own way. These were faithful men. Abraham was a man chosen by God that would be responsible for carrying God's revelation to the world through whom a promised Redeemer would come. It all began with one faithful man, not a perfect man by any means, but a man who put his trust and his faith in God, the Creator, and took him completely at his word. Since Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, God's plan had been unfolding. None of this happened by chance. It was all in God's timing, and Abraham, Abram had been chosen to bring the next phase forward. So God's instruction and promise to Abraham went like this. Genesis, Genesis 12, 1-3. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Since this is the first in a series of promises, we're going to actually use some promises that God gave later on that went along with this promise to reiterate this promise. Uh, we're going to use those to kind of bring a little fuller meaning to what we're talking about today. The covenant that we're talking about today can be broken up into three different parts. So part number one, God's promise of future or sorry, God promises a future generation and a place for all that nation to call home. This is what Piper says. God promises great posterity. That's why Abram's name was changed to Abraham in Genesis 17.5. It will be numerous, and you will have a land all your own, Genesis 12.2. I will make you a great nation and make your name great, Genesis 15.5. 
Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. So shall your descendants be. Genesis 13, 16, and 18, 18. Also, Genesis 13, 14 says, Lift up your eyes and look at the place where you are, to the north and to the south and to the east and the west, for all the land which you see I will give to you and your descendants forever. And again, Genesis fifteen eighteen, On that day the Lord made a covenant, a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I give this land from the, the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. For a couple, Abram, Abram and Sarai, who were getting along in years, this promise probably seemed pretty far off, pretty far-fetched. And with each passing year, the promise seemed to probably get even more impossible. Sarah tried to make things happen when they weren't working out the way that, they, that she thought they should, and she gave her maidservant to her husband, Abram, in hopes to carry on the family name. But this really wasn't God's plan. Her efforts actually really hurt things in years to, become, to come because the descendant from this decision was constantly at war with the nation of Israel. Our decisions have consequences, don't they? When we take matters into our own hands, sometimes it seems like we do way more harm than good. One thing that we see from this promise that we need to learn from is that God's way is perfect and his timing is always perfect. We don't see the big picture, but our Heavenly Father sees the big picture. He knows it all. Our role is to trust, to simply trust. So why is this such an important thing to God? Genesis eighteen nineteen says, I have chosen Abraham that he may charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. If the promises made to Abraham and his seed are to be fulfilled, then his household must keep the way of the Lord. The nation of Israel were to live lives of devotion to God and to keep themselves living in a way that was honoring to God. They were to live lives in devotion to God so that the nations around them would see the greatness of God and come to know God through them. We know this happened at times because certain kings throughout the Old Testament followed God's ways and they were blessed. We also know that other kings in the nation of Israel didn't follow God and God turned away from them. In fact, they ended up in exile because of their disobedience to God. God still loved them, but because of their disobedience, uh, he had, they were now distancing themselves from their Heavenly Father. This lesson applies directly to us personally and as a church. First, personally. Do you reflect your Heavenly Father? Do you reflect Jesus? The nation of Israel was called to reflect their Heavenly Father, but more often than not, they were no different than the, than the nations around them. They, they were serving idols, they were living selfishly, selfishly, and they were full of pride. Do your friends and your neighbors know who you, that you follow Jesus, or are you just another good person? Our communities are full of really good people with really good intentions, but our intentions need to be different. Like the nation of Israel, our intention should be to glorify God. This means that we can't just put, out, put our actions out there. We must use our words. 
We must tell of the greatness of God. If we think that our neighbors are going to come to know Jesus just because of our actions, we're only doing half the job. We must use our words too and be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. As a church, do we reflect Jesus? Or are we merely entertainers putting on a show, making it look good? This brings us to the second part of our covenant. God promises his blessings. Piper sums it up by saying, the second group of promises is more general and, le- and goes beyond posterity and land. Genesis fifteen six it says, Abraham believed the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. God justified Abraham because of his faith. And justification is an act, an act full of promise. Ever since God had chosen an ungodly Armenian and promised to make a great nation of him, he remained childless. The promise seemed hopeless. But God, who delights in doing the humanly impossible, says to him, Genesis 15, 4 and 5, Your son, your own son, shall be your heir. Look toward heaven. The number of stars... If you are able to number them, so shall your descendants be. God is going to act for Abraham. Therefore, Abraham looks away from himself and trusts God to keep his word. That act of faith so honors the glory of God's trustworthiness and the power and the mercy that, that God responds with incomparable gift of justification. He declares Abraham to stand righteous before him. Not that Abraham will never sin again, he will, but he's now being forgiven for all his sins, past and future. And in that sense, God will not bring him into condemnation for them. That's Romans 4, 1-8. I love the way Piper puts this. Often we hear that God is going to bless us, and we take that to mean that he's going to give us more things, or he's going to give us a greater status. But that's looking at blessings from a human standard's. Blessings from a godly perspective means saying, Lord, you know best. And I know that you will give me what I need when I need it, and I will honor you now, and I will honor you then. Your will be done. So what does this look like on a personal level? It's that recognition every day that I need to say, Lord, I trust you, and my desire is to follow you wherever you lead. Put those people in my path that you would have me interact with today, and show love to today. Give me courage to open my mouth and speak up for you. What does this look like on a church level? It looks very similar to a personal level, actually. It's that recognition that we need to be following God's leading, putting his desires ahead of our own, put those, asking him to put those people and opportunities in our path that would have us follow him and give us the courage to move forward as he leads. The final part of the covenant today. Through Abraham, all nations will be blessed. Piper sums it up like this. He says, the third group amounts to this. All this blessing promised to Abraham will be enjoyed someday by all families of the earth. God, God's purpose is to bless the world and the blessing of Abraham. Abraham is to be a conduit, not a cul-de-sac of God's blessing. I will bless you so that you can be a blessing and, you shall, and in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Therefore, even though God has begun his redemptive reclaiming process with a single individual, he has the view of the world in mind. He has a plan, a clear purpose for those for the centuries, and that reaches even to us. 
who are the heirs of the promise made to Abraham and to his seed. In Genesis 17, 4, it says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of multiple nations. This seems to say that the seed of Abraham will not be restricted to the Jewish nations. Romans 14, 7 says, Abraham will father descendants who will belong to many nations. Paul goes on to say in Romans 9, 6 to 8, that it is not as though the word of God has fallen. For not all of those who have descended from Israel will belong to Israel, and not all the children of Abraham are the children of Abraham just because they are his descendants. But through Isaac shall your descendants be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of the God, but the children of the promise are reckoned as descendants. The covenant blessing was swung wide open for all nations. That's Romans 11, verse 12. How is this possible? Paul, in Galatians 3, lays it out really nicely for us. He says, Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, the promise given to Abraham by God, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then, those who have faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. In Jesus, the blessing of Abraham comes upon the Gentiles that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. There is neither Greek nor Jew, there is neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, if you are Christ's, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs of the promise. So let's close this off today. If you've put your trust in Jesus, you are, you are an heir of this covenant. This is how God's redemptive plan actually went. God created the world, including mankind, and he gave them the choice. They chose to turn away from him. God still desired to have a relationship with his creation, but he, but he couldn't because he is perfect and we are imperfect. God's plan to redeem and rescue his creation was first brought to light when he promised a Savior in Genesis 3. God worked and moved through faithful men to build a nation from whom a Savior would come, and that Savior's name is Jesus. Jesus came to earth fully God and fully man, lived a perfect, sinless life. Because of his perfection and because he is God, he's the only one who could pay the penalty for our sins, which he did by giving up his life for ours on the cross. He was buried and on the third day rose again, proving his victory over death. Now he sits at the right hand of God the Father, continually continually interceding on our behalf, on our behalf for all of us who have put our trust in Jesus. What a beautiful plan. What a God-sized plan. My only question left for you today is where do you see yourself in this plan? Abraham put his trust in the one true God, and it was counted to him as righteousness or rightness before God. Yet he, Yes, he still struggled with sin and needed to confess those things to God, but God loved him and he blessed him. Do you want that relationship with God today? It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I put my trust in you and I make you king of my life. And then tell someone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the promise that you gave long ago, and we thank you that we are part of that promise, those of us who have put our faith and our trust in you. Thank you that uh, you are in control and that you've been in control all the way through since the beginning of time.
Thank you for your plan. Thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice. We uh, pray all these things in your awesome name. Amen.